Heavenly Father, I ask that you would reveal, well, that, that you would send your Son. You'd send your Holy Spirit to reveal your Son to us this morning. Lord, I ask that um, you would remove distractions from us. Lord, that we would hear you call to us this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray I pray for those who are in this room this morning who need to hear this message. Lord, I pray for my own heart this morning that it would be affected and, and molded by this message. Lord, I ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to be transformed by you. Lord, I ask that you do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have started a new sermon series. Last week we started a sermon series entitled, It's All About Jesus. All right, it's about like the most generic church sermon series you could come up with, right? You're like, well, what? like, duh, right? Like, isn't that what a church is supposed to be about? But like, you would be surprised, right? Like, you would be surprised how quickly and easily Jesus can shift from being the center of what we're supposed to be talking about. And before we know it, we're talking about programs, or we're talking about initiatives, and this thing and that thing. And those things might be good things, but they might not be the thing, right? At here at Conduit, we want to say that it's all about Jesus and the good news that he brings has the power to change everything, right? That is kind of this orienting principle of saying we want to be focused on that. It doesn't matter what programs we have if we're not focused on Jesus, we talk, last week, I kind of talked about this one-degree shift of saying if we're traveling in a straight line, but we're off by a degree, just a small little degree, that's going to shift where we end up. And it's amazingly easy how quickly in the church world we can get just distracted by one degree. We can begin to... Um, Focus on things that are not actually central. And last week we kind of talked about that, particularly in with the Bible, right? We, Jesus was calling out and he was saying, calling these people out in the Bible and he's saying, you read the scriptures, but you don't get them. Like for as much as you've read the Bible and maybe memorized and studied them, you have, you're not seeing who I am. He was talking to religious leaders who knew the Bible backwards and forwards, but then were standing face to face with the Messiah and they were like, yeah, you're just some, I, I, you know, some crackpot. We don't like what you're saying, dismissing him and ultimately crucified him. Right? The people who were studying the scriptures in order to wait for the Messiah, when the Messiah showed up, they missed him and instead crucified him. And that's like the perfect example of being off by one degree, to be pointed close to the right direction, but to still totally miss target. And so for us, this is kind of, this sermon series is asking that question of like, all right, what are the things, what do we need to do to shift our focus back 
to Christ, to ensure that he truly does remain the center of what we do. And so last week was kind of about, we talked about how the entire Bible is about Jesus. Kind of looked at the beginning, if you remember, and we talked about right there in the beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and Sin entered into the world and the curse began. God made this promise that someone would come and crush the head of the serpent, kind of the symbol of the curse. And then we looked at the Bible and all throughout the Old Testament, we're looking and we're seeing, is this the Messiah? Is this the person who will finally crush the serpent? And the answer over and over again is no, it's not him, but someone like him who is greater will come. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus says over and over and over again, I am that person. I'm the one that you've been waiting to come and crush the serpent. I'm the one. And so that is kind of, so we kind of like, if we were to break down that statement that it's all about Jesus and his good news has the power to change everything. Last week was a little bit about just explaining how the Bible is all about Jesus, how it truly is all about Jesus. And then this week is a little bit of how does Jesus' good news change everything? How does that actually happen? What is that good news in, in, in all of its way? And I was thinking about this, and even just earlier today we were in our front door class, and um, we were reading a couple passages which were just invitations from Jesus. Jesus inviting people to himself. And, and this particular invitation came to my mind. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight, And this, is a, this should be a pretty familiar passage for a lot of us. But I think it's a passage that we need to hear afresh. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who here knows what it feels like to be weary and burdened? Right? I'm sure if I were to take a poll today, how many people would raise their hand and say, yeah, there's something I'm weary about. There's something I feel burdened about. I'm in need of rest. I'm in need of what Jesus offers there. And and I think that this can be truly an invitation to us this morning. That I believe that Jesus is genuinely inviting you this morning to come closer to him. To come experience what it means to experience his rest. If you are weary you were burdened this morning. It's been my prayer the last couple of days, is that this morning, if that's where you find yourself, that this morning you would encounter Jesus, that you would hear his invitation and you would come closer. And so, what is that burden for you? Is it a situation you don't have control over? Is it a expectation that's unmet? Is it a hidden sin? Is it, um, 
Is it disappointment? What is that burden for you? It can be big, it can be small, right? But what is it? What are those things that are weighing heavy upon you that you need rest from, that you need to meet Jesus in? And I think that's what I think Jesus wants to speak into today. Jesus invites you simply to come to him. Like that's, like that's the invitation that Jesus has for all of us. He says, come to me, know me. And I think that is open to you today. I don't think that there's anything restraining that from you experiencing Jesus like that today. And so I want us to kind of just look at that, kind of explore that. What does this mean? What is Christ's invitation? So we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 3. We're just going to look at the beginning of John chapter 3. This is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's beginning to perform miracles. He's beginning to teach publicly to people. And people are slowly beginning to um, take notice. They're beginning to form opinions about who this guy is. Like, like if, if Twitter was around, there would be some hot takes about Jesus on Twitter. Um, right? Like, like, the sad, like the Pharisees and stuff would be like, you know, they'd be like trying to, you know, hashtag cancel Jesus or something. Um, like, like that would kind of be like kind of what's going on. Like there'd be some drama going on. Um, and, and in the midst of this, we see this event take place, this conversation happen here in John chapter 3. So I'm just going to start in verse 1 of John 3 says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, so man named Nicodemus was a Pharisee, member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, so he's a religious leader. He has studied the Bible. He is also part of the ruling council. So like this guy's got like authority inside the Jewish like community. He's the one, like, he's, he's a mover, he's a shaker, right? Like, he's, he's a guy, and he's got some influence, and he's got some power. And then he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus comes and meets with Jesus at night after the sun has gone down. Okay, well, we know, that, um, we know that we have people who, we know that it was not uncommon for religious teachers to spend time late at night pray, or praying or discussing religion or philosophy together, would have not been uncommon, and, and Nicodemus addresses Jesus in a very respectful manner. But there's also the fact is, is that like, if Nicodemus had been seen with Jesus, it also would have been like really hot gossip, right? Because like, what's what's Jesus meeting? What's Nicodemus meeting with Jesus about? Because like, by and large, the Pharisees don't like Jesus. 
Actually, the chapter previous, Jesus went into the temple and he got really mad, like understandably mad, because he like came into church and he found that they were selling and making profit off of things. And that this, this temple was, was making profit off of selling people sacrifices. And so Jesus came in and he flipped the tables. And he was like, why in the world have you turned a house of worship into a den of thieves? You're ripping people off. Just kind of like, um, you know, if like you're in an amusement park or like Disney World, like you, don't go, you don't got anywhere else to buy food. So you're going to pay $20 for that small thing of Dippin' Dots. Um, Right? It's something like that, right? It's ripping people off. And Jesus is understandably upset, and he comes in and he makes a big scene about this. That's not a quick way to make friends with the Pharisees. And then now, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And so, what is happening here in the middle of this night, kind of having this secret conversation, these two religious leaders? And it's kind of hard for us to it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Like a lot of times now we think like why why wouldn't Jesus be popular with the religious leaders? Like that's that's kind of a, a, a shift for us because a lot of times we're just so used to Jesus that we think that we're like, oh well like why wouldn't he like why wouldn't the religious leaders just embrace him or be excited about him? Like, that feels odd for us, but he's really, like, challenging the establishment. And he's saying, you guys are off more than just one degree. You're missing the whole point of things. And then Nicodemus kind of just says this statement. It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, Right? For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So it's kind of this weird statement. It's kind of like kind of a like a implied way of asking, Jesus, who are you? Right? Like, like we know that like you're from God because you're doing these like signs. We see these miracles. And so that must mean something. But like who are you? Like, who are you really? Are you the Messiah? Like, he's kind of asking but not asking. He's kind of implying a question and stating this. And so Jesus totally doesn't answer his question. Jesus shifts the conversation a little bit. And in verse 3, he says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then Nicodemus replies rather confusedly, says, How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. It's kind of comical, right? Nicodemus is like, you're talking about being born twice. Someone is only born once last I knew. Like you can't climb back up into your mom and get reborn. That's literally what he's saying. And he's just like, What's going on here? That's not what I was asking. I was asking who you are. And now you're talking about being born again. Like, what's that got to do with anything? Jesus is saying, he's like, look, like, 
you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is implying something about Nicodemus on this dark night. He's saying, like, you can't, like, it's, not only is it dark outside, but it's dark in your vision. Because you can't see who I am. Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus in the following verses, starting in chapter in verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what is Jesus getting at? Like, what's all this, like, being born, spirit, water, flesh, wind? What has all of that got to do with anything? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and he's saying to you, that you need a spiritual rebirth. We are born... In one way. We're born of our natural dispositions, our natural bent. And Jesus is saying, you are born blind. You're born not seeing things correctly. And the only way to fix that is to have a rebirth. Is to experience newness in God through his spirit. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus Jesus invites you into the mystery of becoming a new person by God's transforming work. Jesus is saying, like, you you don't just need, like, a 10-step program, a new book, a conference to go to, uh, a better podcast. You don't need to just try harder, like, like it's like Nicodemus, like I could tell you who I am, but if you don't have a spiritual rebirth, it won't matter because you still won't see me. And, and so often we spend our energies trying to like self-help the Christian life. Trying to like, you know, we find like those life hacks on like, you know, uh, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, YouTube. And we're trying to find like the, you know, 10 life hacks to be more productive, 10 life hacks to make your uh, New Year's resolution stick, right? Like whatever that thing is that we're chasing to try and better ourselves at, to finally be satisfied with the way things are in our lives, we're trying to just kind of, it, it's kind of like we're just trying to like kind of just sell, like hack our life and trying to turn it into some sort of like ideal thing that we want it to be. And Jesus is saying, you need to stop doing that. You just actually need to experience God. You actually need to be spiritually transformed. And that is something that I can't explain to you. I can't give you 10 steps to spiritual birth, because Jesus doesn't give 10 steps to spiritual birth. They can't make like a, a, you know, a quick like social media post about it that like will trend really well because it's like, if you do these three things, it'll fix your life. Like that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying you need to experience God. And just like the wind, 
right? You can't see the wind, right? But you know when there is wind happening because the wind is affecting the trees and everything around it. So the same thing is happening when God is doing something with his spirit. Because you can't see him, but you can see the effect that he's having on everyone around. That's what it's like when spiritual rebirth happens. Can't see or explain how it happened or where it came from, but you can see the effects of it. You can see that God is at work in your life or in the lives of those around you. Nicodemus is in the dark. He doesn't see things correctly. You remember, you know, you ever been in the dark? I have a dog now. I know, that like doesn't have, like the worst lead up. I swear this is going somewhere. So, I have a dog now. I, I, if I had thought about this earlier, I would have had a picture up there so you could all agree with me that he's the cutest. Um, but he's like, you know, the other night, I'm, I'm in bed, and I'm like, I'm like almost asleep, you know? And then, like, you know, and we're in my room, and he's at like the foot of the mattress, and I'm like, he like, all of a sudden, he bolts upright. And then he's like, and I'm like, whoa, well, what is it, bud? You know, like the classic, like, what is it, Lassie? Um, you know, <laughs> Timmy fell down a well? Like, you know, and I'm just like, immediately, I'm just like, oh, what, what? You know, like, I'm like panicked because I'm like still half asleep. I'm like, Ugh. and like, is there like, there, is there someone in, the, someone in the apartment? You know, and I'm like looking around without my glasses. Um, <laughs> And it's, and it's pitch dark, so I can't see anything. And I'm just like, huh. Like, you know, and I'm like stumbling out of bed. And I'm like, reach, where's my phone? You know, I got to turn on my flashlight. Get something to defend myself with, right? There was absolutely nothing for him to be barking at. Um, I think he had a nightmare, and he woke up. <clears throat> and then my adrenaline was up, and so it was difficult for me to go back to sleep. He didn't have any trouble. Um... <laughs> But, like, I was stumbling about in the dark. I was, like, tripping over, like, my dirty laundry because I hadn't picked it up. And I was just like, oh, okay, like, it's the door closed. And I'm quickly turning on the lights because I can't see anything, right? Bumping into, like, coffee tables and stuff because I was just, like, you know, like, high alert mode. Right? We've all kind of, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that specific experience. But we've all been in an experience where we can't see in the dark, where we're just like, you know, you're like, oh, I can get to the bathroom without turning on any lights. That's when you stub your toe, guys. Like, that's, that's when it happens, right? Because um, when we're in the dark, things don't, we can't see everything. It's not clear to us. And when we're kids, right, when we look into the closet and we look at that pile of clothes in there, it looks more like a monster and less like a pile of clothes because it's distorted by the darkness. And the same is with our condition. We're born into darkness. Nicodemus here is having a conversation with Jesus at night, and he himself can't see the Messiah sitting in front of him. Because his vision is distorted by darkness. 
And same is true for us. And, and if you talk with someone who, who is a follower of Jesus, often you'll hear this like, I was in church for a long time, and then one day it like made sense. Right? Like maybe at some point the gospel and who Jesus was, like you'd maybe seen Jesus a lot, maybe you've heard sermons like this a lot, but you've never quite seen Jesus fully. Because Jesus isn't just like an example, he's not just a good guy. He's not just somebody we talk about and we should try and be like and we should try harder and that this is kind of like the religious way of like, you know, self-help. Jesus is saying, no, I'm something more than that. I'm more than just a good example, a wise teacher. I'm someone who transforms people, who brings about new life. And so... Nicodemus is having this conversation with Jesus, and he's not getting it. He's not getting it. And this continues on. Jesus kind of, you can kind of hear Jesus is almost getting exasperated in these coming verses. If we look in verse 9 through 13 here, Nicodemus replies to hearing all of this teaching that Jesus is saying. Nicodemus just kind of says, just, how can this be? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But Jesus had said in the previous verses, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Like, you should know this, Nicodemus. In verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Like, Nicodemus, like, you've read the Bible. You've read the scriptures. You should know this. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, he's like, look. You're a teacher, you're a religious teacher, you should, these things that I'm saying here should not be bouncing off of you and making no sense. This is in line with what scripture has been saying all along, and you're missing it. And Jesus says, like, I can speak about these things, I'm giving you insight into these things, because I am the son of man. Whenever you hear that, particularly when Jesus says that, he's referring to himself, and he's saying Clearly and explicitly, I am the Messiah. I have come from heaven, and I'm revealing to you something that is greater. This passage is one of the most clearest teachings of the gospel, and it happens super early in Jesus' ministry. Like, this isn't after Jesus has died and rose again. This is Jesus up front. He's telling you, this is what I'm here to do, and this is what's going to happen. And before we, we move on, I want to go backwards into the, into the Old Testament for a minute. And we're going to read a quick passage in Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. And this is helpful for us because reading this passage in Numbers 21 gives us the context that Nicodemus and Jesus already had. 
They would have studied the scriptures. They would have been able to, like, you know the story in Numbers? Let's talk about that. And so this is the context for what Jesus says in John. So this is, the people of Israel have been delivered from slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, and Moses came in the ten plagues, and he delivered them, and he took them across the Red Sea. They received the law from God on the mount, and then they are in the wilderness. So God has rescued them from slavery, delivered them from the strongest army in the world. He has visibly made himself manifest through many, many miracles and is leading them as a pillar of fire. And then he is leading them in the wilderness, and while they're in the wilderness, he's providing a miracle food for them. Right? Like, how is Israel eating at this time? Because they're kind of nomadic, and they're just wandering in the wilderness, which is not a good place to get food. Well, daily, God provides what was called manna, which is a food, and we don't really know much about it, but it was a miracle food that was provided every single day at morning. And the only thing they had to do was go out and get it. And they'd have enough for today. Every single day that happened. They didn't have to plant. They didn't have to harvest They didn't have to work hard for it. It wasn't hard to get. And God is just miraculously doing all of this. And then that's when this story happens. Verse 4 of chapter 21. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, and there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Why did God save us from slavery? That's awful. Wish he hadn't done that. Why, why are we here in the wilderness? Like, like, I don't care that God's literally manifesting himself as like a mist and a pillar of fire. Like, I just, I don't, like, just speaking against him and saying this miracle food that's given to me each and every day with abundance so that I have no need or want or no work to do with it, I detest it. And then how does God respond to that attitude? The Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So if we think back, if we remember from last week, we talked about the garden, right? Adam and Eve placed in the garden having no lack, having everything they could want, perfect relationship with God. And they said, God, it doesn't matter that we have got all we need. We're still going to choose to step away from you, to do our own thing and to rebel. And when they did that, sin entered into the world, brokenness entered into the world. And the snake kind of became a symbol of that curse. And and in that, right, There is this suffering and this curse. There is now death in the world. And then here, we have again the people of God having all they could need from God and turning away and saying, nope, like 
We're, we're not going to worship God rightly. We're going to complain. We're going to grumble. We're going to wish that we had been just left to our own devices and we'd never been saved to begin with. And when they do that, the curse again becomes apparent. The snakes show up. Death enters into the camp. They're being bit by venomous snakes. And they're like, God, remove the curse from us. Take the snakes away from us. Take it away. And what does God do? God doesn't remove the snakes. That would have been a simple solution. But instead, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at that pole and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole And when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. And then that's the end of that story. Kind of an abrupt, rather strange story. Right? Because we're kind of left to wonder, like, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Like, why didn't God just get rid of the snakes? Why did why did he have Moses put and a symbol of the death and the curse on a pole. And then why did the people have to look at the pole to be saved, to be delivered from the sin, the curse, the, um, the disease that was in their veins? And I think we get an answer for that in John 3. Jesus says this in John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, talking about himself, must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is saying, I need to be lifted up onto that cross. And when I'm lifted up onto that cross, I'm going to take the curse with me. I'm going to become cursed on that tree. I'm going to take sin, and I'm going to be despised on that cross, and all you need to do is look to me and be saved. The Bible proclaims Christ as the answer over and over again. And And the temptation is to overcomplicate it. What does Jesus say? He says, look to me and you will be saved. Who can't look to Jesus? Right? Anyone can look to Jesus and find salvation there. Jesus doesn't remove the curse, but he provides salvation from the curse. He provides healing from the curse. Jesus became sin. He knew no sin, became sin, so that us who lived in sin could be delivered from it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is how God loved the world, that he sent his son for you and me. That God would take on flesh and humility, that he would not demand to be worshipped, but he would become one of us. He would live a life ordinary, full of pain and ordinary experiences, and then he would be crucified undeservingly, 
And with him, he would take the curse of sin up onto the cross. And he would take it with him to the grave, and he would leave it behind when he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you, to say that burden you're carrying, the reason you're weary, like you're just an awful person because of that. Whatever it is, if there is something that, if there is a phrase, if there is a belief, if there is a voice in your head that is just saying, you know what, you're not good enough for God. You can't be saved, you can't be redeemed, you can't be healed. That is a lie. Because Christ did not come to condemn you. He did not come to say those things. He came to save you. That is the truth. That is the gospel, that Jesus has come so that me and you might have life. And the temptation, the temptation for me as I was prepping this sermon was to try and make it cool. It's honest. Like, I just like, I I like to read a lot. I read a lot of books. I read wide and far. And like, I'm just like, all right, how do I like, how do I present the gospel in a new way that's fresh? That's a, no. Because it's just that simple. The temptation for us who are familiar with the gospel is to begin to not see the gospel clearly because it is so simple. And those of us who are new to the gospel are tempted to stumble over it because we believe it can't be that simple. And the truth is is that it is. Look to Jesus in faith and find that he has salvation for you. That he wants to create in you a new birth, give you new vision. Look to Jesus and find their salvation for where you're at. Jesus invites you to himself because he is the means of salvation. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And when he's feeding the 5,000, he, he, you know, he performs this miracle. He multiplies loaves and bread and fishes. And, and they have plenty to eat. And this is a miracle. All of these people see this happen. And then Jesus goes away. And then this crowd of people still continue to chase after Jesus. And then Jesus confronts them when they finally catch up to him. And in verse 32 of chapter 6, this is the conversation that he has, um, uh, that, he, that, they, that he has with these people. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Right? We're talking about manna back in Numbers again. Jesus saying there's a greater bread than the manna that was mentioned in Numbers. And then these people say, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's saying, 
You keep chasing after physical bread. And what you're missing is that you need to just chase after me. You need to know me because you're going to continue to look for things to satisfy you, for things to fill you, and you will continue to be hungry. You will continue to be dissatisfied and you will be continuing to look forever and never finding true satisfaction. But turn to me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am the bread that gives life to this world. I am the one who brings wholeness, who brings life and redemption and spiritual rebirth. And that's the essence of communion. As we do this today, it is a reminder for us that Jesus is the bread of life. Because Jesus later in his ministry would, would make, again, the symbolism clear. Jesus would, again, another night, he would be having dinner with his disciples And he would take the bread and he would hold it in front of his disciples and he would say, this is my body broken for you. And he would break the bread. And then he would hold up the cup and he would say, this is my blood poured out for you. And Jesus invites us to come and drink and eat to be filled, to be satisfied, to experience new birth. And I'm inviting you today to heed that invitation that Jesus has for each and every one of you to come close to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest in him, to simply look to the cross, Look and behold the Messiah who became cursed for us so that we might be delivered from the curse. That you and I might experience true, real, genuine spiritual rebirth. Not just trying harder. Not just ten steps to get my life fixed. But a new heart, new vision, Because perhaps don't we need to see things more clearly? Perhaps the burdens that you're carrying are distorted by the darkness that we're in. Perhaps the weariness that we're feeling needs to be offset by the new vision that Christ gives us. What have we been looking to apart from Jesus? Have we been looking to ourselves? Have we been looking to other people? We've been looking to, you name it. You know what the thing is that you look to with a tendency of thinking that will be the thing that will deliver me, that will finally fix me, will finally make my life okay. It will be the life that I want. When Christ is saying, stop looking aside to all of those things, even good things, 
because they are degrees off from looking at me and knowing me and knowing spiritual birth and life. Conduit, I hope that you are captured with just how amazing God's grace is this morning. That you behold Christ and his love for you and his desire for you. I pray that as you go forth this morning, that you would go with your eyes fixed firmly upon Jesus and that nothing would stray your eyes away this week. Conduit, know that you are loved by a God with unfathomable love. Go in peace.